Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of How I Work. I am so excited to introduce my guest today, Ramona Shaw. Ramona helps new managers become leaders, people love to work for through leadership and executive coaching. She's developed a 12-week curriculum focused on the foundations of leadership, is the host of the Manager Track podcast and author of The Confident and Competent New Manager, How to Rapidly Rise to Success in Your New Leadership Role. Thanks so much for joining me today, Ramona. Thanks for having me, Josh. Great to be on with you. Yeah, it's awesome. So I love the title of your book. Um, you know, have confidence is a Gurian's tagline. So I want to just like dive right in and talk about confidence with you. Yeah, um, so, uh, you know, you've obviously done a lot of work in this area. You got this great book about the confident and competent new manager. So what are some of like the personal attributes or attributes of a professional environment that might foster confidence? Yeah. And actually, um, Maybe also to just set the stage a little bit in terms of the confidence, especially for new new managers or for yeah. leaders. Uh, the there's something to be said about having a great deal of confidence, mm -hmm. but also there's something to be said about having doubts and being yeah. doubtful. Because mm -hmm. I think we sometimes, and even right, the book title says, "How do you become more confident?" But there's also the risk of being overconfident. Yeah. And for new managers, this is the, the way it plays out. And actually totally guilty myself where I thought in my first leadership role or before entering it, well, I'm successful as an IC. I can do, uh, you know, I can deliver, I can perform, I'm doing this well uh, and I will be fine. You know, this is just now leading other people and, you know, teaching them or working with them. And can't be that hard. Yes, can't be that hard, right? Right. <laughs> And this is when we start to not pay attention to the fact that this is a huge transition. Mm -hmm. And actually, anytime that we're taking on a big new responsibility, a big new role, a big new project, that we've things that we've never done before, it's good to have some doubts play in the back of your mind because it will make you more aware. Uh, it'll make you be keen to double check or look up things or learn things or listen to other people and listen for guidance or or engage a mentor or a coach versus if you think, no, I got this because that will make us a little bit blind. Um, and I think, you know, I, for me personally, I definitely had this sense of overconfidence and I, this is something I see with new managers all the time mm -hmm. where they start the role. They think it's going to be okay. can't be that hard. And then um, sooner or later, they run into these situations where they think, uh, wait a second, <laughs> Yeah, that's why are there? Why is this not working? And why is why aren't they doing what I tell them to do? And why are they, you know, not not hearing what I'm saying? And yeah. why is this why is why is this hard? <laughs> and these are the moments when you know when it then comes head to head, and uh, and oftentimes we wished or they then wished like ah maybe I should have gotten a coach or should have done some leadership training earlier on. I could have maybe prevented some of this from happening. Yeah. And so I want to say that upfront as like confidence, looking at it as a spectrum, not, we're not aiming for overconfidence. We're not aiming for constantly running into self-doubt. We're really running, looking for this healthy level of confidence. And also, which I think, doubt, right? yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and I think the doubts will also elevate our self-awareness because mm. it makes us look inward. Uh, and then when we want to cultivate, to go back to long-winded here, but go back to your question about how do we cultivate a environment of confidence? Yeah. So much of this is believing in other people. Mm -hmm. And 
and them not just believing them and uh keeping it to ourselves but believing in them in them and letting them know trusting them telling them hey even if things this goes south i got your back mm-hmm. you know i believe you can figure this out and if not you'll definitely learn something from this and it'll be to your benefit yeah uh, and and figuring out where is that where is that limit for the person that you're leading and how do i push push that limit up mm-hmm. um, by yeah. believing in them more than they may believe in themselves I mean, I know that when I talk to managers, I tell them that I think managing people is the second hardest thing in the world to do. The first hardest thing is being a parent because you can't fire your kids. But it's it's just about the same thing. It's like, yeah, you have to be able to give them a little bit of like latitude to make mistakes. You got to, you know, have some faith in them that, you know, they are going to be able to take what you've taught them or, or what they know and like apply it uh, effectively. You can't just be like, you know, on top of them at all times. So um, I do, I would say that like going from being like an IC to managing people, that is a, that is a, that's a big shift. And I don't think people are necessarily ready for it or understand how big of a shift it is for sure. Yeah. And it's just like you highlight, I think it's, uh, it's for many people, the biggest or one of the biggest transitions that I, they make in their careers, mm-hmm. because it's not just a different responsibility. It is a complete flip in their mindset. The things that made them successful as an individual contributor, as an IC, are often the things that keep them stuck as a leader. Like in my personal case, being the person who gets stuff done is great as an IC. And then you start leading people and all of a sudden that becomes the the big thing that yeah. whole, that gets in the way of me being effective. Now all of a sudden you, it, delegation is more important than you actually getting stuff done. And like being able to like understand the skills and abilities on your team and be able to like delegate the right things to the right people um, that will feel like challenging to them, but not too far out of reach for them, right? I think that there is something to... Like being able to understand, sure, there may be a few things that as a leader or manager, I'm going to have to do myself. But most, yeah. more importantly, it is about like figuring out what is it that my people can do. Yeah. Um, and then pairing that with like the opportunities that exist that will like help them grow in their career and challenge them in their work. Yeah, 100%. And it actually, I'm going to tie this back into confidence too, because when uh, so, someone who like likes to get stu- stuff done or or has this sense of, uh, you know, being seen as the go-to person. And then all of a sudden I find, even if I did delegate work to someone else, I find myself in a situation where I realize they're taking too long. It's not good enough. And right. I might have the urge to jump in. That's what we call being the superhero, jumping in, solving the situation and then, you know, jumping back out. But whenever a superhero is up late, there's also a victim, right? right? Standing right there. And the victim in that case, then is my direct report. Because the indirect message I just sent is, you weren't fast enough. It wasn't good enough. I didn't believe that you were able to solve it mm-hmm. and that you were able to rescue the situation. So I kind of needed a superhero to come in. And that was me. Yeah, And they will not feel confident after this experience. In fact, they probably will feel less confident going forward because they realized, oops, boss had to swoop in to to get that over the finish line. Uh, Versus if instead I took more of um, 
you know, called the the Yoda standpoint, um, Yoda uh, approach, where I help them think through the problem, I guide them from the sidelines, so that they get out of the experience feeling like, yeah, I did that. I learned how to do this. I figured this out. I took a, I had a critical part in, in overcoming the challenge. And so now I feel more confident that going forward, I can handle things like this. Yeah. 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 So I've um, been talking about like this confidence framework for digital marketers. And one of like the foundational pieces to that is uh, creating a learning environment, like uh, a learning organization, right? So getting everybody to have kind of the shared mindset that, like we might try things and we might fail, but that's okay because there's like failure and data. So it's only bad to fail if you don't take the next step, which is to say, like, what did we learn? And then mm-hmm. how can we apply those learnings to like the next thing that we're going to go out and try to do as a marketer? So um, I love that you talk about like doubt as like being something that's super important when it comes to confidence, because like I equate that to in my thinking to like um, becoming a learning organization. Like we need to be learning organizations. Um, Anything else about how you think leaders leverage doubt to their benefit? Um, I I think the, what doubt, it it goes a little bit hand in hand with with curiosity. I don't know if it one enables the other, but it definitely often comes together where confidence may go more or this sense of overconfidence may be more tied to uh, ignorance. And the so the, the curiosity at the end of it is a meta skill that's immensely helpful in any professional setting, like marketing as well, but specifically leadership where we start to be curious of like, huh, interesting. How did that go? Uh, how could I have done this better? Um, what is required of me going forward? how, uh, you know, what might have caused this one person to say what they said or do what they did that was unexpected to me mm-hmm. or that they're not, they seem disengaged, especially in the hybrid remote world where sometimes we start to pick up on little things, can't really put it all together in the big picture yet. Yeah, But it's just little small odd stuff seems to happen. And when we are curious and we can talk about it and say like, this is not a judgment. I'm just curious of what happened here or what made you think about it that way? I want to understand. And sometimes the, the doubts start us to, or get us into that mode of curiosity, which is tremendously helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So you mentioned kind of like how our workplaces have changed, right. Or hybrid and things like that. Um, and I know that you've had a lot of experience with like different size companies. Um, one of the things that we've kind of talked about a little bit is like how you lead people when it's like an early stage company and there's only like maybe a handful of people in the company versus um, what that looks like as the company grows or the changes um, and the organizational structure grows. How does like the way that we need to lead change when we go from like startup to, to like real grown up company? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You you know, uh, so I was born in, and raised in in Europe, uh, Switzerland specifically. And so as we're speaking now, it's the World Cup. And it, it made me think of, of soccer right now. <laughs> when, when we're thinking about a soccer player, we see them on the field and they're kicking a ball forth and back. Mm-hmm. We don't see them lift dumbbells or squatting or, you know, being on, a, on doing some cardio uh, on a machine. 
Yeah. But that's what they do in order to prepare for the, the performance. Right. And so when we're thinking about a small team and I, you know, now I live in the Bay Area and in San Francisco and work with a lot of startups who are in that phase of you know, a founding team, a few people, they get along, they're friends, um, or they they all work together somewhat in a flat hierarchy and all of a sudden they get funding and they scale really fast. Yeah. And so now at that time or leading up to actually, you want to ideally do this a little bit ahead of time before you scale is to think about what's the, what are the muscles I need to train at the gym in order to then be prepared to perform while I'm on the field. Yeah. And the muscles that we need to train as leaders in order to prepare for scaling that will then really come to show as, as the company grows those are the things such as having a really solid understanding of what are our values and our principles. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to forget about those because they somewhat are built in or natural in a small team. But the moment you start to hire and hire at scale, you quickly notice that you don't know what you're hiring for if you're not clear on your values. Yeah. You don't know how to tell people if, or evaluate if a leader that you hire in from the outside matches your leadership philosophy if you don't have a leadership philosophy. Okay, yeah. So what do you stand for? What do you not stand for? What do you expect of the leaders in the company? That has to be defined and has to be, um, it, it needs to be communicated. Right. And then flow into the hiring processes, the onboarding processes, the performance review process and all of that so that everyone's on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one aspect. And then the second part is what are the systems? And I you, I refer to this as, I talk about this in the book, developing your leadership system. This is like your method of how do you lead? What are the routines and the behaviors and practices you keep, you put in place, mm-hmm. right? In a marketing world, you may say, hey, every Monday, we or every Friday, we look at this dashboard. And this is how we evaluate what's going well and what's not working and what do we need to tweak next week or we define our game plan based on that. So the practice of looking at the end of the day, looking at your dashboard or Fridays you look at your dashboard, that's part of your system in how you manage a campaign, for example. Mm-hmm. So in leadership, you would look at how do I hire, onboard, and then manage people on my team in a, from the beginning to the end in a way that's thought thought out and somewhat methodical mm-hmm. uh, in terms of here is the performance review cycles that we have. Here we all have one-on-one meetings or I as a leader choose to have one-on-one meetings. Um, here are the career conversations we want to put in place. Here's how we do goal setting. Here is how we uh, how I think about stakeholder management. Mm-hmm. Here is how I communicate and create transparency from you know the top to top down in terms of having team meetings or all hands. The cadence of these meetings, the tools that you use, all that goes flows, these frameworks that flow into a system. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, it's a little scrappy and everyone kind of does it their way and you learn on the job. And then you start to get to the moment where it's like, okay, let's build the backbone. Let's go back to the yeah. gym, it's off season. Let's prepare and build up so that we have that those resources in place um, and then are ready to run. Yeah, I love that. I I do think that uh, a lot of it does have to do with like, um, you know, values and understanding very clearly what those are, articulating what those are, and then like living, living by them, right? And, and that they shouldn't just be like these kind of um, big broad statements we should be able to like define them in such a way that we can 
like teach them that mm -hmm. we can um, like review people based on them, um, that we can hold people accountable to them. So anyway, I love that you like start with like, it's all about a company figuring out what its values are and then the transmission of those things um, mm -hmm. through a system is what like grown-up companies do that maybe a startup company doesn't have to do because hey we're we're all but we're all buddies like we know we know each other's values because we like each other and we're kind of the same mm -hmm. right totally yeah, yeah it's you know it's funny when i just hear, even when i hear myself talk about it there's definitely the the inner tension in me is like if i was a leader in a startup i feel like oh my gosh we don't have time for this Mm -hmm. I'm very much like my mind is performance based. And so I think about and no, that's going to slow us down. Like it's all, you know, nice work, but really where's the revenue? That's what matters. Yeah. But then, you know, in my work, I see this day in and day out, how the cost down the road of not having done that tremendous. Yeah. It's confusing for employees, lack of trust in leadership wrong hires because there was misalignment and miscommunication. Um, it's higher retention rates than needed because we hire people that aren't a good fit in general. Yeah. A lack of consistency in terms of how teams are evaluated and that then creates demotivation and disengagement. It, it has this spiral effect down the road. Mm -hmm. So as much as it seems like an unnecessary task to do, this is like we said, like, yeah, no, there's a reason why all grown up companies do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just, I'm kind of like in all uh, vulnerability, like Agurian is on this journey, right? Like we're yeah. still quite pretty young company. Um, it started with a group of people who know each other really, really well. And now, you know, as a 30 person company, we've, I think done a pretty good job at defining what our values are and trying to transmit those values and articulate them and in good ways, but, um, yeah, it's a journey. And, uh, I think you're right. If you, if you don't do it right, you start to see those things around like employee churn and you, you start seeing those things around like trust. And so, um, it is not an easy thing. It is not an easy thing to do, but I wholeheartedly believe it's worth it. And I think, you know, a lot of the listeners here are like software as a service, uh, businesses, right. And that's all about like, what's our, monthly reoccurring revenue what's our annual reoccurring revenue like that's all that that they're focused on and care about and like let's just drive that number up and i do think that uh this work uh this leadership work is just as important especially if you start seeing success and you start scaling so mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly and i think it's then you know who, who does the execution of the very tactical things and then who in the organization is is thinking about the cultural aspect or or thinking about you know the leadership competencies and and the values? Um, and I love that you're saying like we're on this journey too. And I think sometimes we say you've got to have it right, but actually no. Even if you do it scrappy, but mm. do it right. We don't need to make it a big deal. You don't need to hire consultants for a hundred thousand dollars to get a culture plan in place. Right. No, just grab a document. Mm -hmm. write down, set up a culture survey. It can be super simple, five minutes, um, consolidate it, write a one pager yeah. and then use that and iterate with that in mind. And just as you do everything else in a scrap, not you, but <laughs> as companies scale or build or grow um, more so things can be scrappy. This one can also start with a scrappy draft and then mm -hmm. go from there. 
I think like the word you said, iterate is probably the most important word. And it's goes back to what we were talking about before we started recording, which is like, just try your best, like do the mm-hmm. best that you can right now and then iterate. Yeah, and I think iterate. that's super, super important to just like philosophically, again, it goes back to like being a learning organization, of course. Oh, totally, so I, I want to shift gears mm-hmm. uh, because I know that you're like, have a big interest in stoicism and we're kind of like uh, getting on the edges of, of some of that. Um, so you're even, I think, re- starting to write a book or writing a book about leaders who practice stoicism. So I'm just interested and curious about that. So can you kind of first define what that is for the audience? And then second, tell us how you're kind of connecting the dots between stoicism and leadership. Yeah, so stoicism uh, sort of had its its origins in the Roman Empire. And I think, you know, Marcus Aurelius is probably the most common or well-known stoic leader. And then it had a bit of a, a, mo- a modern uh, sort of revival. And there, Tim Ferriss is often stated as the person who introduced people to Stoicism. Um, and there's also Ryan Holiday, who wrote many books on on the topic. And I was first start. I first started sort of being interested in the philosophy of Stoicism as a philosophy of life. That's very tactical or practical, better. Mm. It's not about philosophizing and thinking about life and contemplating what's a good life. It's really about how do I uh, live by these virtues or values, as we would call them today, by by these stoic values. What does that mean to me? And how does that specifically show up in my day-to-day interactions with people? What I base my decision on, how I set up my life and who I really want to be. And for me personally, stoicism just really resonated as a philosophy that it talks about being a, a being a good human, but also, and what's often overlooked is, is really being caring and looking at community and being of um, support to the community and influencing people in a good way and doing the right thing, not doing the easy thing, uh, you know, investing in gathering knowledge and increasing our level of wisdom over our lifetime and so forth. And so I was really interested in it. And as I was personally getting that, building that interest in the knowledge on stoicism, I also built and continued to develop my knowledge in the personal, uh, the leadership development space. And it occurred to me over and over how the things that we teach when it comes to leadership development can directly be traced back to stoic, stoic philosophy and um, to things that these wise men uh, at the time uh, or women have said and that we can read in books that were written or captured or or based on uh, words spoken thousands of years ago. And we now package them and we like, this is the new thing. It's vulnerability or it's, you know, the five this and five that. And I thought we don't actually talk about stoicism as a way to, as a philosophy for leadership at all. And in fact, when I first started sort of socializing this idea of writing about stoic leadership, people would always say, don't do that. Like no, stoic leadership's not an attribute people want to be associated with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to sell. No one wants to read it. And that made me want to write it even more. It's like, yeah. oh, for sure I got to write it. And for sure <laughs> I'm going to call it stoic leadership. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I interviewed um, about 20 leaders who are in, in corporate roles or in leadership roles who are uh, practicing stoicism and see the intersection and the benefits of stoicism and how that's helping them, especially during a time where resilience is a big topic, mm-hmm. uh, where sort of there are a lot of things seem out of our control and working with that. 
Uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm in the writing process. I'm super excited to bring that to light in 2023. Wow, that's cool. I, I imagine those interviews were amazing. So yeah, hopefully so really- you'll get some excerpts from those in the in the book, and I look forward to seeing it. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned uh, Tim Ferriss and a few others. So one of the things that I ask is kind of a final question here, and I've really appreciated this conversation. It's been great. Is kind of ask all my guests like, who are you listening to or reading? Who's kind of challenging some of your assumptions or inspiring you today? Can you give us the names of a few authors or thought leaders or podcasters that you're like, oh, everybody should be listening to this person right now? Oh, gosh, there are a lot. Um, but I think the like most consistent person that I that I look to uh, in terms of my own development is Marcus Aurelius. So maybe not a surprise um, on that front. The people that I listen to now, it, they're, uh, I like John Maxwell. I think he, the books that he wrote, the work that he puts out and his consistency and his messaging over the years, it's really impressive and the impact he's had uh, in the different uh, fields that he's working in. Um, I also like, if I think about leadership specifically um, or scaling, I have to think about a few other people. Oh, so, okay. Adam Grant would be another one um, that I definitely follow and listen to. I like his uh, approach to, or or his research backed approach. The only time I don't listen to Adam Grant is when he talks about imposter syndrome, but everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You got to know when to tune in and when to tune out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There we are on very imposing views on that. Um, Yeah. These would probably be the people that I follow the most or most consistently. Okay. Awesome. Well, like I said, this was a super fun conversation. Really excited to um, read that book about Stoic leadership. Uh, so keep keep working on that and let us know when it comes out. And I really thank you for being my guest today on How I Work. Thanks for much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the How I Work podcast with Josh Becerra. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe. To learn more about Agurian and for more digital marketing tips and insights, head to agurian.com.